Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I am your host, Andrew, and as always, I have my co-host, Matt, here with me. The New York Jets were able to secure a win over the Denver Broncos this past week. Uh, Despite some early lapses on defense and some early struggles on offense, Brees Hall ran wild eventually in the second half, broke off a 72-yard touchdown, and the Jets are able to secure a win for Nathaniel Hackett and for the pride of their entire team. Matt, I want to toss things to you first before we get too far into this review we need to talk about the specimen that is Brees hall and Mm -hmm. just go ahead and describe what this guy is like because and i want to hear your opinion as well i don't even think he's still at a hundred percent yet i don't think so either uh like i doubt that it just all came into the you know fruition all in one week because i would say last week he was definitely not a hundred percent back uh so I don't think so. I, I think he's still got a, a little bit to go. Uh, the burst is still there for sure. We've we've seen that since the beginning. He'll burst through that hole just like he did last year. It was just the long speed that he was uh, kind of lacking. He would lose some steam uh, maybe about 40, 50 yards. Uh, so now he seems like he's got that back. Uh, and he's, there's probably still some room to, to go. So uh, things are looking up. Uh, he's lightning in a bottle. Feed him the ball. Only good things can happen. Yeah, he's got to be their their main offensive weapon as of right now. Garrett Wilson's awesome, and he deserves his attention too. But Brees Hall is their best player on offense right now, and it's really not close. And like I said, I don't even think he's still 100% fully healthy and back to re-injury Brees Hall. He's really close. He's probably 90 or 95% of the way there, but you had mentioned the long speed. I think we started to see that come up. For me, it was the the violent cut with very little deceleration where Brees isn't, he can jump cut. He can you know come to that standing start and, and square his hips and drop down and make those lateral cuts when he needs to, but he's much more of a slasher. 
He's much more of a bouncer where he has the ability to stay moving and glide his way vertically and horizontally. I was still waiting to see those those vicious dead leg cuts for him. I saw it once in this game against the Broncos where I believe it was in the second half. Looks like the Jets are running some variation at inside zone or duo, and it gets pretty clogged up up front. O-line gets a good push, but there isn't many lanes to go. So he breeze presses, starts to the outside, starts bouncing it to the left, and gets one-on-one with the safety. And at Transitioning in one step as he's bouncing to the left, puts that outside left foot in the ground, plants, and just cuts right up the field and puts the safety in the dirt and gets nine yards, I believe it was on first down. That was the type of cut I was waiting to see him do more of. And if he can start getting back to that more consistently with the vision that we're seeing him have, with the speed that we're seeing him still have, with his size, his ability to redirect and, and break tackles, let alone just run through people. I, I mean, he, he the sky's the limit for this guy. It, it really is. And like I said at the start, he's got to be their main weapon on offense. If this guy isn't getting at least 15 touches a game, then Nathaniel Hackett's doing something wrong. But here's the only issue. Uh, the offensive line took a big hit recently with AVT going down. So I could see a big drop-off in run blocking leading to more issues for Hall getting the opportunities to, to really make the, the same difference that he could have with AVT there. They both, uh, kind of, well, they both went out at the same time last year. So we didn't really get to see what AVT, or uh, what Hall would look like without AVT in that O line rotation. Uh, so I could see a drop off just because of that alone. But he is still a playmaker. He can make his own production, even if the offensive line does struggle. But I don't think it will be his maximum, his, the, the height of what we expect from him. I definitely think that's a concern. Uh, and obviously, Elijah Vera Tucker being lost to an Achilles uh, out for the season in Denver for the second year in a row is a hard pill to swallow. And that's definitely going to make things more difficult for them up front. But I still think Brees is the type of runner. And we saw it early in the year, even when their offensive line wasn't quite clicking yet. And they had AVT playing. And the first couple of weeks of Dwayne Brown getting in and him not playing very well at all. We still saw the very clear difference between Brees Hall and every other running back on their team in terms of yards per carry, where Brees Hall is five plus and Dalvin Cook and Michael Carter are in the twos and threes, even when their line wasn't doing as well as it could have. So while it's definitely a concern not having ABT, I'm not as worried that it's going to completely harm Brees' efficiency because I think he's the type of runner where, unlike a Dalvin Cook, where he's the volume runner and that he's going to look to have that extra, you know, big run that he's going to take, Brees can get those big runs, but he's still going to pick up chunks of five and eight and nine and ten in the meantime. And we saw that in this game too. So I'm I'm confident that he can continue to be successful, even though losing Vera Tucker hurts a lot. Absolutely. I, I agree. It, stars are going to shine no matter what. You have Garrett Wilson last year getting rookie of the year, and we all know what his quarterback situation was like. So, yeah, it, these guys are at the top uh, 99 percentile of, of the talent in the NFL. And if you give them the ball, if you give them the opportunities, they're going to make something of it. 
Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, the next part of the offense I want to talk about, we mentioned Elijah Vera Tucker, and that is uh, a really, really tough situation. But we need to mention for the second week in a row, I thought a very solid and encouraging game from Zach Wilson, where okay. I didn't see any major, major crucial mistakes. The interception at the end, it was bad ball placement. He's trying to throw a back shoulder fade to Garrett Wilson. He leaves it too far inside, gives Sertain a chance to make a play, and it wasn't like the cleanest perfect interception in the world. He caught it between his legs, but still wasn't a great throw. We saw a couple of other near misses here and there, but I thought for the most part, he was sharp. I thought for the most part, he was accurate. He seemed confident. He knew where he wanted to go with the ball. Didn't blindly make any risky chucks into coverage. And this is a game as opposed to last week where I think playing the trust your run game, trust your defense, be a little more conservative approach kind of paid off and, and played into their hand. Zach Wilson did a good job of sticking to that conservative idea with also being aggressive when he had the opportunities. He had a couple of throws to Garrett Wilson on the sidelines in this game, and I thought were gorgeous. Uh, you know, 32-yarder right over the outstretched hands of the zone defender in the slot hits Garrett as he's sliding down, first down play action. We had a huge play to Conklin later in the game when they're driving down to secure the win calls a check at the line, puts Conklin on a little stick and nod route. Conklin gets wide open. Zach starts left, holds the safety, comes back, hits Conklin in the middle of the field. Huge play on third and four. Those are the type of things that we couldn't even dream of a year ago. And to see him now do this two weeks in a row after not, again, in, in my opinion, going back to some of our earlier episodes, even when he wasn't playing well at the start of this season after week one, it's not like he was so horrible that this is the only reason they're losing and it's all on Zach Wilson, just like it was at its worst the year in 2022, a year ago. So I'm, I'm encouraged to, uh, with how he's progressing. I think he's doing more than enough to help them win. I don't think he's preventing them from winning. I think they can still be competitive and in a lot of games with the way he's playing right now. And the more reps and opportunities he gets to do it, I think it's only going to help him. So I'm excited. Absolutely. This is his second game uh, where he had a completion percentage over 73 and an adjusted percentage of 84. That's very accurate. Uh, so That's the top of the league. I, it's top of the league. These are numbers that we've been hoping to see for a very long time with Zach. And the fact that we're seeing it now when we need it most is very encouraging. Yeah, we can nitpick here and there for things that he could have changed. but. In the grand scheme, and and he did well. He played well, and we should applaud him for it. Let's not like rip him for every little thing that he missed. I I saw Damian Woody getting on his case for not getting to his third read in Conklin and seeing him wide wide open when he really wanted to give the ball to the Wilson, uh, do make uh, doing a crosser. But you know what? I can, can we really blame Zach for wanting to put the ball in Garrett Wilson's hands to make a play? I, no. I can't. <laughs> I, I, he did that again um, to, uh, I think it was a, uh, a corner route uh, that Garrett Wilson was, uh, uh, was doing. And uh, he had Pat Sertan again on him and he had very good coverage and was about to undercut the ball. And Zach puts it nice and high to where Wilson can, make the play and, and put it over Pat's head. It, it was a little too high and it didn't work out. But at the same time, 
I'm okay with that. Like that's good placement. You didn't put it in a place where Sertan could intercept the ball and they got, went on to live another day. I think the, the biggest thing that we saw, and it's really not an issue with him. I put this more on the shoulders of the coaches is that mess up right before the half with that, where they didn't spike the ball uh, or they or even before that, where he didn't throw it out of bounds or just dirt the ball. And, but that's something that needs to be told to him. He needs, they need to be in his ear and drilling that so that he knows absolutely what to do with the ball in that situation. If he doesn't have the look that he wants. So the fact that it ever got to that point, I am going to put that on the coaches and not him, but even still, he should have had some kind of urgency getting to the line, getting everybody set. They were very slow. I, I, yeah, they can drill like these nuanced uh, looks that and and things to do in this situation. But at the same time, he needs to know that clock is ticking there, and that urgency needs to be, you know, had. <laughs> so, I I very much want him to clean that up. The these these little things that he should know. But you know what? He'll he'll get there and. Like I said, in the grand scheme of things, uh, he did very well. Yeah, overall, I'm I'm encouraged by his performance again for the second week in a row. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on the end of half snafu and the issue of not getting to the line quick enough or, or play the blame game over you know whose fault is it? It's all of their faults, at least how I view it. It's everybody's fault. As a quarterback in Zach Wilson, you shouldn't have to have a coach tell you you need to get to the line. You don't have timeouts. There's X amount of time on the clock. You need to be able to spike it. If you do get a ball in bounds and in that situation with where you already are in field goal range with how much time is left on the clock, if you're getting another play, it's take a shot in the end zone or live to fight another day and kick the field goal. So as much as I want to sit there and say the coaches should have drilled that in him. Yeah, but that's not a complicated situational football thing that it's no different than any level of football that you're playing. And for a guy that's been playing the game as long as he has and is as invested in the game as much as he is, that's got to be on Zach to know I can't throw this check down. And I think it was him trying to be a bit too conservative, worried about throwing an interception, wanting to make sure they got points at the end of the half and tried to take an easy, you know, throw to Uzama in the flat and let him break a tackle or, you know, then we'll get to the line. And there just wasn't the urgency afterwards. The coaching standpoint for me is on the rest of the offensive line. and everybody but Uzama and Garrett Wilson racing to get back as fast as they could. And the offensive line lackadaisically going and getting down into their stance. Zach needed more urgency too. And that's where I also want him to be more of that leader in the situation and go, no, yell, get to the line. Like, could you imagine Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or Pat Mahomes in that situation looking the, you know, as lackadaisical as Zach Wilson was while his offensive line is slowly but surely getting to the line to get set. I think those guys would be losing their minds. I think they'd look like what Garrett Wilson looked like right at the end of that play when they ran out of time. And Garrett's jumping up and down and throwing his fist in the air all upset. That's where it's the coaches need to be on the team as a whole for being that it's, you know, that slow and that less aware of the situation. But it's also on Zach to be the leader to where if the coaches did mess up and the guys aren't being there and you know that's the situation, then you better be the ones getting on them too. So, 
it's everybody's fault. At the end of the day, it didn't cost them the game. They were still they still won by double digits. They still were able to separate later in the game, and despite a late comeback attempt, did what they had to do. I do want to get to the negatives of this game, though, and there are some that we have to focus on leading into this next week against the Eagles because I think they're they're very transferable in a lot of ways. Um, first and foremost, the Jets' red zone offense was not good at all. Uh, mm-hmm. Way too many field goals were not able to get into the end zone and convert against a team with a horrible defense and a horrible red zone defense. And even still, they were having to settle for field goals. I think Zerline had four on the day, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. I believe so, yeah. So that that has to change. And you can live by being conservative and kicking field goals against a team like the Broncos with when your run game was working the way that it was. You can't play that way against the Eagles. You, you absolutely can't play that way against the Eagles. And for for Nathaniel Hackett in particular, who I thought called a pretty nice game. I don't think was doing anything egregious. Um, you know, leaned into Brees Hall, added some variations and run concepts to get him going. Didn't just stick to the same stuff over and over. Once you get inside that twenty, once you get in that gold zone, as you yourself like to call it, you, you got to have more aggression. You got to have more more ideas of ways to get the ball across the end zone. You can't just keep settling for field goals. It's really going to be an issue if they can't get in the end zone against the Eagles this week. Yeah, it really will be. It's like they have progressively gained a little bit more confidence in Zach and his ability to throw the ball week by week. I'm hoping that by the time we play the Eagles, that confidence is 100% there. Not there. It wasn't there last week. Probably about seventy percent, eighty percent, and this is the result that they just put on the brakes, all gas, no gas. They took, they put the chains right back on them. Run, run, pass. Run, run, pass. And it was very predictable and very mundane. It's not something that's going to work, like you said, against a team like the Eagles. We have to be aggressive nonstop. We need to take that all gas, no break mantra and live it. Don't just say it, live it. In every situation, just have that in your mind. Like, should I put on the brakes here? Should I be a little conservative? No, no. Put the foot to the floor, be aggressive. And you know what? It might not work every time, but you know what? At least you'll go down swinging. Yeah, you got to have that aggression. Uh, And we saw that. At some points later in the game, they try to get their shots to Garrett. They try to give him the ball and let him do what he does. And I'm never going to complain about Garrett Wilson getting targets in the red zone. But he can't be the only guy you look at. He can't be the only one you're drawing up plays for. He can't be it. You're you can't get inside the 20 and say we're either going to run with Brees Hall or we're going to throw it to Garrett Wilson. You have to have some other ideas. And there is three other guys on this team that I think need desperately desperately need to get more touches in the red zone. And that is Alan Lazard, Tyler Conklin, and Jeremy Rucker. Use your size. Mm-hmm. Use your guys who can get open against safeties and linebackers. Give them the opportunity to find space. Alan Lazard is six foot five. You're paying him $44 million over the next four years. Give him opportunities to use that size. Let him do what he did with Rogers and Green Bay where he can box people out on fades, or you can get him like we saw against the Chiefs. 
You get him on a slot seam up the middle of the field, and he's able to box out a safety closing in and make a catch and go up high and catch the ball at its highest point. You have Ruckert, who we saw against the Chiefs, can make back shoulder pirouetting, outstretched arms, you know, fade route catches. Give him the opportunity to get a body on somebody and box them out. We saw Conklin juking out any Broncos linebacker who tried to cover him. Give him the opportunity to get one-on-one in space. Cut somebody up over the middle and catch it and run in. Use the entirety of your team. Don't just focus in on guys like Garrett Wilson or guys like Brees Hall. It's first and 10. We're at the 12-yard line. We have an opportunity to get in and get a touchdown, and we're going to get in 21 personnel, and we're going to run the ball with Brees Hall. That worked earlier in the drive. You had more space. Now the defense is closing in. Now things are more condensed. You can't just expect the same plays to continue to work. You don't have the offensive line for that. And so that's where I really want to see. I want to see the rest of these guys on their offense that can make plays, that can win in contested catch situations. Give them some shots. It can't just be throws to Garrett. I wholeheartedly agree. Even on that sluggo, uh, the the Wilson in the back of the end zone, uh, where uh, you had Conklin wide open, it's apparent that these guys are still very good at what they do. And they can get open, and they are getting open. It's just a matter of prioritizing them. And that's something that's easy. That's an easy fix. It's just now up to them to implement it and Zach to be confident in it. Yeah, they really have to. And it has to be a point of emphasis where, again, I'm never going to sit here and say Zach Wilson throwing to Garrett Wilson in the red zone is a terrible decision. In most cases, it's not. But it's not always a good one. It's not always the right one. And just because a decision may be a good decision doesn't mean it's the best decision. That's where I want to see some of these other guys featured because I think they're getting forgotten about. And I think as we're seeing in the progression, let alone are the defenses forgetting them, it looks like the progressions are forgetting them too. Or Zach is so locked in in his own brain to say, trust 17, trust 17. When I'm in the red zone, that's who I'm looking for that he's not even getting his thought process to get to these other guys and find them when they're open. There's plays to be had here. There's, there's, Like you said, it's an easier fix. It's not like there's this huge conundrum over what can they do to get better in the red zone. It's adjust their play calling like they did earlier in the season when it was what can we do to get any yards on offense at all. Adjust their play calling. Change from what you're doing and give defenses something new to worry about instead of the two or three things that they've only had so far. So far, this can be fixed and sneak preview of our breakdown against the Philadelphia Eagles. It can be fixed this week because they are 29th in the NFL in red zone defense, the Philadelphia Eagles. It's not like this is where an area where they shine, they have an opportunity to get better. Absolutely. I I, I agree. It's something that can happen, should happen, needs to happen. Uh, But you know what? This isn't the, the, the only uh, negative that I saw where there needs to be adjustments. And it's kind of been something that's been plaguing us the last two weeks. First the Chiefs, then uh, against uh, Denver. When it comes to mob- mobile uh, quarterbacks, really just digging in and eating us alive. And it seems like we let them do it for a good amount of the game, and then they start throwing a spy on them and then we and then it's like it closes up magically but then they do it again the next week and it happens 
happens again. So my question is, why are they not just making this adjustment right away? Just always have a spy. We need to have a conversation about this because I got to be honest. I know their defense played well in the second half. There was a period of time where I think they had allowed one yard total to the Broncos across like a quarter and a half. They stiffened up. They adjusted. They've done that a lot this year where they've been able to find ways to readjust and get better and not get caught by the same stuff. But they have some serious issues that they absolutely, absolutely, absolutely need to address. First and foremost, they are seventh in the NFL, uh, seventh worst in the NFL in missed tackles. They have a huge problem tackling. They need to get better at tackling. We saw a touchdown, the Broncos' first touchdown of the game, a bobbled screen pass. Tony Adams, his first game back, has an opportunity to come down and make a tackle on Jaleel McLaughlin, an undrafted rookie running back for the Broncos, filling in for Javante Williams, completely and totally whiffs. Completely and totally whiffs. Dives like he got, like there, he's in an action movie and an explosion went off behind him. It, it, diving through the air, not even getting close to McLaughlin. He's able to cut, make inside, re- cut, make a cutting inside, reaccelerate, and gets into the end zone for a touchdown. We saw Russell Wilson, as you mentioned, with mobile quarterbacks, get out of the pocket and run and scramble, and then they seem to spy, and that seemed to help. This is the the first issue in terms of mobile quarterbacks in particular, because it goes beyond mobile quarterbacks as a whole, just in terms of how they tackle and their mindset and their process of go full speed, charge as fast as you can, you know, look to take somebody's head off and, and technique or, or angles or pursuit be damned. Their defensive line stunts way too much, way too much. They send their edges inside and expect their tackles to then loop back outside. They're trying to get inside pressure. They're trying to free somebody up around the corner because they don't want to blitz. They're third in the NFL, third fewest blitz rate, uh, the Jets defense. They want to rush four. They want to drop seven. They want to get pressure with their guys up front. And if they can't do it just mono mono, then they're going to try and scheme and stunt and go around and find ways to do it that way. When you do that, you lose contain. When you do that, it completely and totally messes up the lanes of escape for a quarterback and gives him opportunities to get out of the pocket and run. And when you're playing either man coverage or a match coverage or a zone coverage that's dropping very deep behind it, there's nobody underneath to then come up and make a tackle. Even if you have a spy, then it's one-on-one with a lot of space. And for guys like Russell Wilson or Jalen Hurts this week or Pat Mahomes the week before, sometimes they can make people miss. They can win a one-on-one opportunity when you give them that much room. Looking ahead, going forward to Philadelphia, they have to slow down their stunts. They have to stop crashing their edges inside and looping and twisting and giving free lanes to the outside for these quarterbacks to run through. They have to play a contained, almost reserved style of defensive line play that is a, an antithesis to what the Jets want to do up front, where they just want to say, screw it, we're being aggressive, we're shooting gaps, we're firing inside, we're messing up your protections, we're messing up your run calls because we're getting into the backfield too fast, and we're just going to create a whole mess of havoc up front, and our linebackers are going to come down and clean it up. Well, when your linebackers are 15 or 20 yards downfield covering people, they can't come up and do that. There's no one left to go and get that quarterback. You have to keep your edges outside. 
You have to keep your defensive tackles. One has to be at the front of the pocket. One has to be on one of the B gaps. You have to have your edge rushers keeping contained to the outside. You can't allow Jalen Hurts to just maneuver in the pocket, find a lane and run, or let this gigantically massive and awesomely talented Eagles offensive line catch you in a stunt, prevent it, pass it off correctly, toss your defensive end into the ground and give Jalen Hurts all day throw to A.J. Brown or Devontae Smith. Or if you cover all of them, then escape and run and get 20 yards himself. It's a death sentence for the Jets. They absolutely need to adjust, at least for this week. And I think more going forward, they cannot continue to just be constantly, constantly, constantly stunting and twisting up front and messing up their lanes of uh, contain. It's ruining them on defense. I think it was because of week one, and I feel like those stunts really helped them, you know, get the pressure that they did against the Bills. And we saw the stunts also take away those inside run lanes. Uh, I remember it was, uh, was it, I believe it was JJ. He got a sack on, on Allen with that same stunt, stunt that we're talking about. Uh, but yeah, if it gets predictable, it's going to be easily maneuvered. And the Eagles are the perfect team to be able to figure it out and outmaneuver us. So, yeah, it's, it's something that needs to be adjusted. We can't be stagnant in our strategies. We have to always be changing. We have to keep defenses on their toes. We need to keep offenses on their toes. And you don't do that by doing the same thing over and over again. That's just a recipe for disaster. So this is something that... Uh, None, again, not a, a really hard fit here. It's not something that they need to like throw out the playbook and rewrite. They just need to just switch things up a little bit. It, and that's all it is. Yeah, it's you don't need to throw out the playbook. You need to change how you're running the plays that you're calling. You don't trust your front four. You you get this loaded defensive line. You say you're going to keep all of these bodies and rotate and keep them fresh and stock all this talent. Let them win traditionally. They don't need to be stunting all the time. You don't need to be sending Carl or JFM on the outside. He doesn't have to be crashing inside to go on, in on a guard. You don't have to send Quinn in from a one-technique alignment outside to an offensive tackle three, five, seven, twelve times a game. Let these guys get in their stances. Let them go ahead. Let them keep containing the pocket and collapse the pocket as a whole, not mess it up. It, like You got to trust your guys to win. You can't just leave them running all over the place and allow an offensive line in Philadelphia that's incredibly massive, incredibly strong, incredibly talented, incredibly coordinated and cohesive to know what you're doing, take advantage of it and push you all over the field. You have no chance if the if you as the Jets offense cannot contain Jalen Hurts in the pocket, cannot take away the easy conversions on third down from scrambling, cannot get some amount of a pressure and cannot slow down their running game, which if you're stunting a lot too also leaves you vulnerable, you have no shot of beating the Eagles this week. This is a week it has to change. It needs to change a lot going forward, but it definitely has to change this week. How do you feel about using Quincy a lot more as a, as a blitzer? Because he was a menace out there, and he's having quite the, the, the season so far, maybe even at a Pro Bowl level. I love him as just being that aggressive change of pace and something that if you throw at the, the Eagles offensive line, maybe that's the one thing that tips things in our favor 
is just the little surprises here and there, whether it's Quincy, maybe a safety blitz, maybe a corner blitz. I want to see more of these kind of mixed in because I could see the Eagles offensive line just really walling off our defensive line, no matter what we do, whether it's do the stunts that we've been doing the last couple stunts twists, or if they change things up and they just allow them to do a more traditional rush, I can see their offensive line because their offensive line is the one of, if not the best in the league. So I could absolutely see that. And these kinds of little twists is something that we need to throw at them in order to really get any kind of production at all. I'm not opposed, but I'm really worried about it this week in particular in terms of blitzing Quincy Moore. Because this offensive line is so good and because they've played together for so long now where you have guys like Wayne Johnson, who's an incredible veteran, Jason Kelsey, who's their you know, leader on the inside at center who gets everybody in the right spots. Landon Dickerson's been with them for a couple of years now, gotten a couple of years being able to play and be healthy. Jordan Mailata is a freak of nature of a left tackle who's been playing for years and years now and was with their system and, and in their program for years before he even became a starter. All of these guys have been together for so long, they can communicate so well, it's really hard to trick them. And if you try and trick them and they figure you out, then you're really vulnerable. So I I almost think this is the game where you have to trust your front four to be strong and win. I think you absolutely need your linebackers to stay being linebackers and be at the second level because, again, as we transition, I got one more point I want to make before we fully transition to this Eagles breakdown. The Eagles are number two in the league in rushing yards right now. Their rushing offense is how they win. They are number two in rushing. They are number 10 in passing. Uh, they are number two in yards overall as an offense. Their, their running offense carries them. And if you can't slow them down, and force the Eagles to be a one-dimensional passing offense, which they can still be very good at, but if you want any shot of slowing them down, you have to be able to stop the run, and if you got your linebackers blitzing, and the Eagles run a counterplay, and you send Quincy up the wrong gap, and they send a, a pulling guard right through the vacated space, boom, DeAndre Swift's off to the races for 65, or Jalen Hurts is off to the races for 65. Because he, they'll design runs for him too and factor him into the equation. I, I'm just, I think in general, you can try on third down, use Quincy a little bit more as a pressure role. I'm not opposed to it, but, but I'm really worried about it this week. This, this Eagles team and what they do and what they're good at is a really bad matchup for the Jets in a lot of spots. And this is one of them, in my opinion. It really is. Uh, I, yeah, I, I absolutely see what you, what you're saying. Um, I'm just kind of looking at the scenario where we don't have uh, the pass rush that we desire with our four-man front, where we do have to kind of, you know, throw some more things at them just to see what can work. Because, yeah, they are the best offensive line. The, the, the Was it the city of brotherly shove? Is, is that what they're called with, when they do uh-huh. their little rugby scrum? So. It's going to take a lot to to really penetrate the, that wall that they have there. Uh, do we have the tools to do it? Maybe. Uh, yet to be seen. Uh, I'd like to see them play up to the talent. And they did against the Chiefs. Uh, they also had a very good offensive line. 
and an offensive system that I thought would take advantage of us. And they they played a lot better than I thought they would. So I can see them stepping up to the plate, but I can also see the opposite, where they are absolutely blank. Yeah, this is their toughest matchup yet uh, in terms of the Jets' defensive line. This is their going to be their toughest matchup of the season, most likely. Um, it does not get much better than the Eagles' front, and and that is going to make or break this game. Um, the other thing that's going to make or break this game, third down on in every facet for both teams on both sides of the ball. The Eagles are the second best team in the NFL on offense and converting third downs. They convert more than 50% of their third down attempts, which is just insane that they can be so efficient on offense. They're number one in time of possession. Number one in the whole league. They average 36 and a half minutes a game, a time of possession. They suffocate you throughout the course of the game. They completely and totally suffocate you. Their rushing attack is one of, if not the best in the league. Their offensive line is one of, if not the best in the league. They convert third downs at the second best rate in the entire NFL. They have a quarterback that they can put in third and two situations, get behind that offensive line, put a tight end behind him, and get three, four yards almost guaranteed because their line is so good, because Jalen Hurts is pound for pound one of the strongest players in the league because they can just outwill you and outstrong you, and there really isn't anything you can really do to stop it. The Jets, on the other hand, are dead last in the NFL on offense at converting third downs. 32nd out of 32nd. The Eagles are number two. The Jets are number 32. Defensively, thinking what might the Jets do be able to get off the field, they're 27th in the NFL and allowing or preventing teams from uh, getting first third downs they're one of the worst in the nfl at allowing teams to convert on third downs those quarterback runs were a part of it the eagles defense is one spot better 26th so on if you're the jets offense you have an opportunity to get better on third down to keep this eagles offense off the field to get some of that time of possession back to keep your offense in a flow otherwise you're going to get suffocated by this eagles team who's going to go on 10 play nine-minute drives three times in a row, get up by 14 points, get you in a situation where you're forced to pass and you're forced to trust Zach Wilson to go win the game for you, and their guys up front like Jalen Carter and uh, Josh Sweat and Hassan Reddick, they're going to be screaming down your throat without AVT there to block them. This is a, a disaster situation if you're the New York Jets. If you do not find a way to get better on third down, get ahead of the chains, and keep the ball in the hands of your offense because the Eagles will smother you if you don't. Yeah, it's it's that simple. <laughs> but I mean, well, it's, it's simple to say it. It's not simple to do it, and especially against this Eagles defense uh, and their offensive line, respectively. It's not something that really jumps out at you as something of a strength for the Jets going into this game. So then the question is, how can they? How can they? What can they do? How can they break down these walls, whether it's on offense and getting those third downs or on defense and stopping them on third down? There's there's a lot of ways to do it. First and foremost, looking at things from a statistical standpoint, the Jets are going to have a better time throwing the ball than they are going to have running the ball. The Eagles are number two in rushing yards per game allowed. They're allowing 63 rushing yards per game right now. Only the Browns are better. In terms of passing, they're 27th in yards per game allowed. 27th passing, 
number two in rushing. They are number 12th overall in defense. You can move the ball through the air on this team. The scary part about that is that their defensive line is ferocious. They lead the league in pressures. They lead the league in hits. They are 11th in sacks. So they're not the best at converting into sacks and and turning those plays into actual negative plays. But number one in hits, number one in pressures. Like guys like Josh Sweat, guys like Hassan Reddick, guys like Jalen Carter, guys like Jordan Davis, Fletcher Cox when he's healthy. Brandon Graham is still there getting it done. It's like the Jets group where they're deep, they're talented, they come in waves. They're in an attacking front that allows them to play a little more free and look to, to wreak havoc rather than hold their ground. And they capitalize. So if you're the Jets, you have to find a way to get the ball through the air and hope that you can be balanced and efficient running the ball, although it's not going to be likely against this defense. You got to find ways to get the ball through the air and also keep Zach Wilson protected. Easiest way for me, Matt, you attack them the same way that teams attack the Jets for so long. Screens, dump offs, check downs, get the ball in space to your playmakers, let them catch the ball short. If everyone's going to drop back and you're going to drop eight and, and trust that front four and take away the deep ball, okay, cool. We'll dink and dunk you to death and get you to back off and get you to pr- to find another way to try and stop this offense. I think it's their only shot of being efficient to start the game early. It is. Uh, I think, yeah, precisely. Dinking and dunking the short game. Uh, I want to see more speed on the field. I want to see some Gibson. I want to see some Hardman if he's activated. Because if in the short game, if you get the ball in these guys' hands, they can make people miss. They can break off big ones. We can do dink and dunks all day, but eventually, it's it, it when you play the the small game like that, you're giving the defense a lot more chances to get off the field. And what you need these explosives to really kind of open things up. But the only way you do that is with a explosive players and i believe that can be done with a lot of speed and we've got a lot of speed sitting there whether it's hardman whether it's gibson whether it's hall whether it's wilson but if we we need to get it in their hands first and that first and foremost they've got to be able to handle the pressure because jalen is a monster the i saw some clips from last week against the the rams where he was double teamed and would just he just made it look like Swiss cheese. He just fought through them so easily. And and that's that worries me so much that it doesn't matter what our game plan is if they can't stop this defensive line. I know that the the Eagles have a reputation right now of oh they're they should have lost some games. They're not as serious. You know, they're they're undefeated, but the games have been tight and, and they hang around with teams and let them, you know, play that they shouldn't. And, and there might be an element of truth to that. But but I got to tell you, folks, this team is for real. And the statistics back that up and the talent on the field backs that up. And it is not unlikely at all that the Eagles are just going to dominate the Jets up front on both sides of the ball like they do to a lot of other teams. And it's going to make it really hard for the Jets to win. I, I'm, I wish there was another takeaway that I could give for this game, but of every team in the league, if you're looking at what the Jets do well, what they struggle with on defense, 
what they want to do on offense, what they struggle to do on offense, and you flip the script and look at the Eagles in that same light, they're, I don't know if there's another team in the league that's a worse matchup for the Jets than the Philadelphia Eagles right now. As, probably 49ers. <laughs> but 49ers that's about would it. probably be the only other one. Yeah. I mean, there's. I'm not saying that you know the Jets can take anybody. There's a lot of other teams that would match up well against them too. But if I'm just looking at what is the worst possible thing the Jets could play and how their team is built, where they're strong, where they're weak, where the Eagles want to attack, I don't know if there is a worse team for them to be going against. And up front is the main part of that. I just, I'm really worried that the Eagles are just too good up front, and that's going to make all the difference. Yeah, the, the thing I'm looking forward to most with this game is it kind of being over <laughs> because after this, it, it, this it, it's a lot smoother for, for sure. The, the the schedule definitely opens up a little bit and we have some favorable matchups, but this one right here, this is probably other than Dallas. Uh, I feel like is the, the, the one that could break our back. Uh, so I just want to see us leave healthy because that that's, that's something that could ruin everything very quickly is if we get very banged up, even a light schedule can't really handle a banged up roster that well. So let's just stay healthy. Let's, uh, let's be aggressive. Let's work things out. But at the same time, I'm not, I don't have any high expectations. No, I agree. Um, there you play every game to win in the NFL. And I think you have to be aggressive. You have to take your shots. I like your idea of, you know, utilizing the speed on this team. If we'll get into this in a minute, but if this is going to be one of Mecole Hardman's last games with the Jets, then let's actually give him a chance to use him. So maybe they can get more in a trade back. if He's playing well. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Maybe it comes back to bite them, but I doubt that they're getting the most serious to offers right now anyway with what teams have seen or or really haven't seen. So let's get the speed on the field. Let's try and be aggressive. But this is a game when you have to be realistic about what you have to do. This isn't the game you're trying to go crazy and pull out all the stops. I had my argument a few weeks ago when the Jets were already down 17 nothing to the Chiefs. And I said, you're, you know, you have one win, your quarterback, your star quarterback you acquired is down. It's Sunday night football. The whole world thinks you're going to lose. You're down 17 nothing. Screw it. Throw out the playbook. Go for broke. Be aggressive. You know, go for it on fourth down. This isn't going to be the game for that. This, this isn't going to be the game for that. This is a game you need to put out some good tape. You need to be competitive. You need to get better at the things that you want to do well, and you need to focus in the areas that you need to clean up. You're not trying to reinvent the wheel. You're not trying to out-scheme the Eagles. You have to be better at what you do best than what the Eagles than, than what the Eagles do best for themselves. And it, it is a this is a game when the talent is going to matter more than the scheme. And you have to trust your talent. <clears throat> you have to put them in positions to win. And the more you try and overthink yourself and the more you try and overcoach and let's stunt our defensive line a ton and you know, let's draw up all these crazy flea flickers and and throw the ball downfield every play or or try and give Brees Hall's 20 toss plays to the outside. The more you try and do that, the more of a hole you're going to get in. And with the way the Eagles just suffocate the clock, you've got to play time of possession. You've got to make your chances count. You can't sit there and try and get cute and have it go negative. Trust your players to do what they do best. Put them in simple and easy positions to succeed and see if you got the talent. That, that's how I see it. No, I completely agree. Whether they do it, who knows? But you know what? Even if it's in a loss, if they 
can make the changes that need to be changed and kind of show like, hey, we're not just going to be stagnant. We're going to, uh, you know, make changes where changes need to happen in game plan, in implementation, in execution. Then that that's a win for me uh, going forward. At least I know that they can handle change and they can implement that change. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the Chiefs game was a loss, but I think in a lot of ways it was a moral victory. It was a way for them to say, hey, we can do this. Hey, we we made a change and it's been effective and we're gaining confidence and and we're better than people give us credit for. And our season's not over just because eight isn't here. I think they really needed that. And even if it didn't result in a win, it, it helped them going forward. And we saw them carry that into this week against Denver. To start the game was a little shaky. They were a little flat, but they rallied quick. They found their groove quick. They made the adjustments. They they focused and locked in, and they did everything they needed to do as a team to come out with a double-digit win against a team that they should have beaten by double digits, and that counts for something. I think this can be another similar opportunity where you may not win, you may lose by seven points, you may lose by nine points, but you were competitive, you were in it, you did some good things, you have some t- things to build on for the future, you improve in some key areas, and at the end of the day, the Eagles are just too damn good and they beat you. That's going to happen. It's going to happen to a lot of teams in the NFL with the way the Eagles roster is built. That's that's nothing to be completely and totally ashamed by. You can be competitive, you can go into the bye, and you can look forward to the next couple of weeks on a, you know, a, a positive note, even if you don't get a victory. Agreed. I exactly. We we can, we can deal with the loss here. What we can't deal with is not being prepared and not looking anything like a team that can have any kind of long term success going forward. So show us that, and we'll go into the bye, you know, with a smile and some hope for the rest of the season. Yeah, that's the plan. That's the plan. All right, Matt, let's get to predictions. And then after that, I want to talk about this Mecole Hardman situation because it is uh, it is really interesting to me and I want to hear how you feel. But let's start with predictions. What you got for this week? Um, well, I definitely have a loss. Uh, how bad of a loss? Uh, to be determined. I'm going to say uh, probably 30 to 17 Eagles. I, I can see it. I'm, I'm not going to say I'm not worried. I think the... The Eagles would have a chance to just overwhelm this team. Um, and I could see a 30-pointer from the Eagles. I could see a a 13-point difference. Um, I'm a little closer, though. I, I'm a little more encouraged. DJ Reed should be back. He's back practicing today, although the Jets are just having a walkthrough practice today and to get some extra rest. They got back into town really late Monday from Denver, so Salah wanted to give them an extra week of rest with all the injuries as well. I think that's a good idea. But Reed is going to be practicing today. All indications are he should be a full participant going into next week. We've seen how this defense adjusts throughout the game. And while they may suffer early, that they don't suffer for long. I think if Reed's back, that's going to help. I trust that the Eagles are the type of team that wants to get out to a lead and then coast. And I think part of the issues they've had of letting teams come back is they don't always put their foot on the gas. They trust that offensive line to win. They lean on that run game. They lean on Jalen Hurts, and they just try and bleed things out. And I think they might try that same thing this week against the Jets. And I think the Jets can make it a game. I don't think it's going to be easy. I, I might not even be close, but I, I could see my... I'm going to go 21-17 Eagles. 
I think the Eagles are going to win, but I, I think it'll be a four point game. I think the Jets will be in it. I think being at home helps. I really like how Zach Wilson's playing. I trust that Brees Hall, even against this tough defense, can make some plays. I think if they can get some consistency up front and get the ball into their playmakers' hands and get better in the red zone, more, most importantly, I think they can find ways to be competitive. So 21 17 Eagles and some confidence going into the bye week. I hope so. That, that would be the best case scenario. Uh, I'm not as hopeful as you. Uh, but either way, we, we both see them scoring about 17. Uh, and yeah, it, it's, it's going to be a game to kind of be a, a, a thermometer for the rest of the season, uh, a gauge. And whether if it looks more like what I predicted, I think it's a gauge kind of looking down. Uh, if it's more like what you're saying, then maybe that things are starting to point up. Yeah, I think that's the a perfect way to really put it, where last week was this is a must-win game. It's an AFC opponent. You had a chance against the defending Super Bowl champions a week before on national TV. You missed your opportunities, but you had a lot of reasons to be encouraged. You're going on the road where players that had been there the year before are back and now hurt, and your coach that you're supporting was just there and fired, and their new coach is talking trash about him, and your quarterback is responding, and you had all of the reason in the world to want to be up for this game and really take it to Denver. And that's why we said it was really a must-win game. This week, like you said, Matt, this is a barometer. This is a gauge. This is a where-are-we game. This is a, are we improving? Are we turning the corner? Are we getting competitive? Can we hang with some of these better teams? Or is this, we're still not quite there yet, and we're still learning. And you know, the Chiefs game was you know a flash in the pan, and we saw better things against Denver. And then once you get to another really good team, things start to falter. Or do you hang around? So I'm win or lose. I'm excited for this week. I'm excited for them to get to the bye and have a chance to reset and and refocus towards this lighter back half of the season. And I'm excited to see uh, the growth from this team overall. Uh, There's a lot of reason to be excited. There's a lot of reason to be doubtful. Expect if you had to be a betting person, expect a loss. The Eagles are a dang good team for a reason, and they match up really, really well with the Jets. But who knows? Maybe they can play well enough to pull it out. Maybe they can find ways to stay competitive. That's all I'm going to be looking for. Absolutely. I, I would love to be surprised here. Uh, I just see kind of a, a reminiscent story to week one and week two where we lost Rodgers. The team had all this energy and and heart real in the game to pull out a win against the bills and then against dallas you kind of saw the opposite like it they used it all up so i could see what we did against denver as like you said they with with the whole peyton story uh and that got everybody up and excited to and plus you know it's with the season on the line as well how they put all their energy into that and then come out flat this week uh I, I that's more where I'm pointing, but I would love to be surprised. Yeah, yeah, I'm in the same boat. Uh, I'm completely in the same boat. I, I really hope that they can start stacking good performances together and rather just have it have to have a reason for them to be up for one game and then completely flat the next one. That would be a, a nice improvement and something that's been needed for a while. Yep. All right, Matt, before we get out of here, let's let's talk about this Mecole Hardman situation. Uh, reports now surfacing that the Jets are looking to trade him where it doesn't seem like the signing has worked out. It had barely played the first couple of weeks of the season. 
And then after the Jets kind of opened up their offense a little bit, we started to see Xavier Gibson get the snaps that we expected Michael Hardman to have a chance to get. Or as we've talked about ad nauseum at this point, the chance for both of them to get snaps and both of them to be involved and utilized. And and it doesn't have to be a one or the other type of situation. Um, I want to hear how you feel too, Matt, but reading between the the lines and and listening to press conferences and seeing how all this is shaken out. I think there's more to this than just, oh, well, Xavier Gibson's really playing well, and he kind of took the role that was envisioned for Miko Hardman. Um, and the reason I think that is, look at the first couple of weeks of the season, when there wasn't a role for Miko Hardman or Xavier Gibson. And how can it be, you know, Xavier Gibson kind of took that role. He was the only one to get it to start. It's not like Mecole was getting those snaps early in the year and we were seeing him utilized in the same ways that we've seen Gibson utilized. It was like we didn't see Mecole and then we saw Gibson. And so that seems like I kind of feel like there's truth to that from the sense of, yes, a lot of the things they would be doing would be similar. And yes, the team is really, you know, liked what they're seeing out of Gibson and want to give him the chance as the undrafted rookie. That's a lot cheaper for a lot longer and more control. And I get all of that. All of that is true and makes sense. But I just don't buy this whole, oh, there's no role for Mecole Hardman because Xavier Gibson had it. To me, it doesn't feel like there was ever a role for Mecole Hardman at all. Uh, well, I believe the role for Mecole Hardman was one that they were looking at to develop throughout the year with Rodgers and have that be a late season bloom kind of in, in, in some respect, because they, I remember them saying that they really wanted to improve his route tree um, in the, in the beginning. And I can see him struggling early in, if they're trying to use him in more traditional, in a more traditional sense, but at the same time, his speed is just something that, you need to use and there's there's many many ways of utilizing it where he doesn't need an extensive route tree so that excuse doesn't really hold as much water so i i have to believe and this is pure speculation is that once rogers went down i think his desire also went down his desire to to really uh adjust his game to, to what Rodgers can do. And that allowed Gibson to really, you know, step up because his drive is has always been there. He's an undrafted rookie. He he has nothing to but drive. That's the only thing that's got on him on this team. So when coaches see that and then maybe a McColl that's not all all in it anymore, I you go with the obvious choice, which is Gibson and they've made adjustments like we've said they've made adjustments and so using that role a little bit more makes a little bit more sense but it's not with the guy that we expected it I I'm going to phrase this very very carefully we know nothing for sure it is purely speculation and off no basis of the fact that we don't have any information. And there could be some other reason that might be unfair to Mecole Hardman as to why he's not getting opportunities. But I don't completely and totally think you're too far off. 
I think there has to be some amount of another reason as to why he never he seems to fall out of favor the second Rodgers went down. Where even week one, he didn't get many snaps after Rodgers wasn't playing. It was like their plan to feature him was uh, assuming Rodgers was going to be there to do it. And I just don't understand what could have changed to be hyping this guy up all summer to make this lower level signing a much bigger deal than it needed to be, quite frankly, and talk about the ways you were utilizing him and show him as a part of this offense as a whole and a a player that was going to be unlocked in your scheme as opposed to other places that he had been. And then he can't even get on the field. And then the second you have an opportunity to use him in a role that would work really well, you let another guy do it. Not that that other guy hasn't earned it. Not that that other guy wasn't doing well and deserved it. But you never even give that opportunity for, for Hardman to get a shot. Is there a reason that Xavier Gibson and Mikko Hardman can't be on the field at the same time? Is there a reason that you can't draw up a play that could potentially be a reverse from either side of the field that from a personnel standpoint could give defenses some issues? Is there a reason why when you're trying to you know scheme up some sort of a a touch to one of your players. If you're trying to throw a screen, you can't put Miko Hardman in the backfield at running back and let him run the screen. Like there's other ways this could have been done and it hasn't been done. And, and I really, really hope, I really hope for the Jets' sake that there is something we don't know that is a valid reason behind this working out the way that it has worked out and not simply Nathaniel Hackett knows Randall Cobb and is friends with him. And so Randall Cobb got all of that role. And so then once that role opened up, then it was, oh, we have Gibson and he's this rookie and he could fill in and take those snaps because I'm, I'm sorry. I, until I see, until I see it actually try and fail, I can't sit here and say, I know for a fact that Randall Cobb is going to be better than Nicole Hardman as a receiver and an ability to, to get open and be consistent and get the amount of snaps that Cobb has been getting, or at the very least have there be some amount of a split share. I'm just, there's got to be more here. Well, I mean, we've seen what Cobb can do so far, and it's not much. Uh, I, I don't have his stats up in front of me, but I can assure you they're not, it's barely there, if any. Uh, so I, it, it doesn't make any sense from the outside without knowing what's going on on the inside. And I don't think the story will ever, you know, come to light. Well, the whole truth, but it all that just leaves it up for speculation for guys like us, for everybody. Um, and we're just kind of left wanting and needing something, something, something to give us an answer. And we're probably not going to get it. And what happens going forward, whether it's a trade or we end up using it more, it, it's going to be something that kind of hangs on the, in the back of our throat for, for a while. I'm going to call my shot uh, going off what I heard Sawa say today and, and the way that, that he said it and how we've learned to kind of speak Sawa and know when he's just using coach speak and saying what he has to say and, and when he's being genuine. I think Mecole's gone. I think he's going to be traded. It, it did not seem like there was much of a defense from Sawa as to why he hadn't gotten more of a role as to how he could be featured more. His answer was pretty much, oh, well, Xavier Gibson's playing so well, like, you know, we just want to feature Xavier Gibson. It's like, oh, okay, gotcha. He's gone. Like, like there's not even the thought of we're going to try and 
and let's not even hype up this guy that we want to trade. It's like, oh no, we have Xavier Gibson. We're fine. We're just going to get what we can, you know, move along, see where things go. Yes, yeah, Saul's not the kind of guy that's going to trash McCole. He's not going to no. throw him under the no, bus. No, but he's also the type so, of guy where he's going to emph- emphatically praise even when it's not deserved. And so to mm-hmm. not even hear him really give Mikol any amount of praise or, or the thought of like, you know, he's still a valued part of this team and we're looking to get him ways. And, and those are just reports. It was just like, yeah, they're reports. And yeah, we really like Gibson. And that's kind of it. That was like all he said. And I, I came away from that with the tone and the inflection and everything else being like, oh, Mikol is, is traded, traded. He's gone. Yeah, I, I, I would lean closer to that. Uh, the, the writing's on the wall. It's just a matter of when it happens. And if there's any takers, uh, I'm sure there's, there's some teams out there that know that, how to utilize them. We, we, we've seen McColl have production. Uh, maybe the Chiefs bring him back. Uh, I think that's certainly a possibility. I wouldn't rule out the 49ers making a call either. Shanahan and Sala having their relationship already and, and Kyle having another gadget guy to, to scheme up a few plays to to get out in open space and say, here, Nicole, all you have to do is run through this giant canyon and, and just take the ball and run up the field and be fast. Go ahead. You'll do that for, you know, you'll do that 10 times throughout the season and collect your money and we'll, we'll go in a Super Bowl. So I, I don't think he's going to, I think this might be his last game in New York. Absolutely. If, if he even plays, I can see him being inactive plays. again. Because if they're trying to trade him, they're not going to risk uh, injuring him. He could so, be on another team by the time they play the game. It's all possible. Yep. Well, here we are. Week six, one game ahead before the bye. A, a very daunting matchup. Trade rumors. Aaron Rodgers sitting on the sidelines and Elijah Vera Tucker's out again. But hey, at least the Jets won. And at least they're still somewhat competitive. And lo and behold, Zach Wilson might end up leading them to something great. So we'll be here along for the ride. Matt, you know what to do. Let's wrap this one up. Well, Matt, you can find me at Zaz Jet. And you can find me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We will be back next week to review week six, week six against the Philadelphia Eagles. Look ahead with the bye week, reassess where this team is at, maybe get some fun little draft uh, talk in as well. Give it everybody a peek ahead towards the 2024 class keep it locked right here and we'll be back real real soon bye-bye